everyone. You know, uh, 700 years, 700 years before anyone would even think to ask, Mary, did you know, God promised to give a sign of his presence with his people through the birth of a son who would be born of a virgin. A son who would be known as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. A son who would be a glorious king and sit on a throne and rule in a kingdom unlike any other. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God promised to restore justice to the world and to bring healing to the nations. And he promised to do all of that through his servant, Look at the text with me on the screens there. It's Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands, the furthest reaches of the world, wait or hope in his law. Who is this servant? Why did he come and how does he save? Of course, it's Christmas Eve. The servant is Jesus, all right? But in Isaiah's time, the moment that he writes this, God's people are living in captivity They had turned away from God through the sin of idolatry, which sounds like a very antiquated kind of a thing. What is idolatry? It's 2019. We don't do that kind of thing anymore. But idolatry really is when we place anyone or anything at the center of our lives as an object of worship and adoration. That one person, that one thing around which we order all of our lives, God is intent to occupy that space and him alone. We were designed for that. We were created for that. And when that's not true in our lives, everything flies apart. And that was true for God's people. Everything had flown apart. God brought judgment. They were in captivity. But God also promised to deliver them. That their captivity wouldn't be final. But he would send someone to lead them out of bondage and to set things straight all the way out to the ends of the earth. Many people believe that this person in history was Cyrus, the king of Persia. He had conquered the Babylonians. He had set some of God's people free to go back from exile into the land of promise. But Cyrus was a sinful human ruler, like so many who had come before him and so many who would come after him. He doesn't really fit the job description fully here in Isaiah 42 of who God's servant actually would be. And in many of the prophets, when you read the Old Testament, they have more than one horizon of fulfillment in mind as they speak. And that was true for this passage here in Isaiah. A greater deliverer is going to come. And so 700 years later, according to the Apostle Paul, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus is God's servant, I don't expect you to necessarily take my word for it. Listen to some of these other passages of Scripture, some evidences that Jesus actually is the fulfillment of this servant of the Lord that we see in Isaiah 42. Others saw Jesus as God's servant, and 
Eight days after his birth, he was being presented at the temple according to the law by his parents. And an older man was there, Simeon. I love his story. He and another woman, Anna, I love their story the best out of the Christmas story when you read it through the Gospels. And Simeon lifted a prayer in that moment when he saw Jesus. And he said, my eyes, Lord, have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's an echo of Isaiah's words here that the servant would be a light to the nations. 30 years later at the baptism of Jesus, a voice from heaven confirmed it. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, a voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It sounds just like what God prophesied through Isaiah 700 years earlier. Matthew the disciple of Jesus recorded in his gospel that the ministry of Jesus was a fulfillment of this very passage, Isaiah 42. He saw Jesus as God's servant. In Luke's gospel in chapter four, three times Luke describes Jesus as a man upon whom the Holy Spirit has come, in whom the Holy Spirit lives. And doesn't God say right here that his servant is the one he will place his spirit on? This is, I think, the most important one. Jesus himself owns this identity. As his disciples argued about who would be the greatest and who would be first, Jesus stepped forward and said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Jesus of Christmas is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, born to two poor parents, but he is more. According to Isaiah 42, he is God's choice servant, chosen, that he pleased the Father with his spirit-filled life of obedience, and he came not simply to be adorable, but to establish justice in the earth. In a world full of sin and all of the brokenness that comes from it, Jesus is God's servant. Why did he come? Three times in the text it says he came to establish justice. All of us kind of have some idea about what justice is, right? Because we, we understand, we've heard the phrase, you know, justice has been served. And we know that that means someone who's done something wrong is getting what they deserved. An evildoer is being made to pay for their, their crime. And that's certainly true. Justice will be served. God's judgment will come and Jesus is the one who will do it. But, but there's more to it here all through Isaiah than just that part of it. There's something wider and deeper. Jesus, you see, came from heaven to earth to establish a time and place where everything would work the way it was supposed to work. Jesus came to bring justice so that everyone and everything would be in right relationship with everything and everyone else. I, I want you to think about it for just a moment. Uh, think about it when you're healthy all of your body parts are in right relationship with each other. They're all communicating, they're all functioning just right. But what's heart disease? What's cancer? What's aging? What's death? It's when those things are not functioning the way they were designed to function. I know that Christmas can be a difficult season. For some of you, perhaps, you've lost a loved one, a family member, a spouse, a parent, a good friend. And maybe it's been this year or maybe it's been in recent years past and the truth of the matter is, for us as human beings, anytime you stand over a grave, there is something that rises up inside of us that says this is not how it's supposed to be. We hurt one another with our words. 
and through our actions. We deceive out of a self-centeredness, out of self-protection at times. We lie. We, we do this on a personal level. We do it on a national level, even internationally. Nations do this. We go to war. We treat other people personally as if they're beneath us. Husbands and wives cheat and leave. Things are not how they're supposed to be in the world. And we can't even really be true to ourselves. Such a trite kind of a saying. Some of us have maybe put it on our Instagram account somewhere along the way. Or maybe you've got a Pinterest pin somewhere that says, be true to yourself. Really? Have you ever been true to yourself? None of us ever have. Because we set standards for ourselves and we keep moving the line and moving the line. Things are not how they're supposed to be. There's a problem. It goes as deep as your heart and mind, and it spreads as wide as the world to the coastlands. We don't live in that world where everything is supposed to work the way that it was meant to. Longfellow captured the tension of that, that we all feel, especially, I think, at Christmas time. It, it brings it up for us. He wrote this uh, in, the, in the hymn that we like to sing. It's one of my favorite Christmas carols, actually. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and he wrote these words, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. There's a tension we know this world is not as it should be. When will it be made right again? We yearn for that. Jesus came into the world because the world needs saving. Jesus came into the world because people like you and me need a savior. God speaks to his servant in this text. Down in verse seven, he says this to him. He says, I'm sending you to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, to, from prison who, who sit in darkness. Isaiah is telling us that we can't really see our problems, not truly. We can't really diagnose our own issues. He's telling us here that our problems actually hold us captive and that we don't have the resources to purchase our own freedom. The problem that, that things within us and in the world around us are not as they should be, is as old as humanity itself. If you go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, the moment when Adam and Eve sinned, everything fell apart. God created humanity, provided a perfect environment for them to live in, but Adam and Eve chose to believe the lies of a serpent and turn away from God. They committed their own idolatry all the way back there. And when they did that, sin and brokenness came rushing into the world and it touches all of our lives to this day. As human beings, we lost some things in that garden that we were never meant to live without. Think about it. We lost our relationship with God. That's spiritual brokenness. We lost our ability to really relate to one another in very good and wholesome kinds of ways. That's relational brokenness. There's conflict between men and women, between the races. That's social conflict and brokenness. Sickness and death entered into the world. That's physical brokenness. And all we have to do is watch the news and we can see that sin has even brought dysfunction to our government systems. There's systemic brokenness in the world. A, a few minutes ago, we sang that, that Christmas carol, Joy to the World. I found it interesting. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse missing, I think, from that, from that carol as we sung it. The writer said, he came to make his blessings flow 
far as the curse is found, right? You remember that verse? He came to make his blessings full, far as the curse is found. Beloved, the curse, the curse has found me and, and you. The curse is found across the world. Everything that's wrong with us and the world is a result of sin. Jesus, though, came to restore all things. Jesus came to make all things new. Jesus came to undo everything that sin had undone. He came not only to put your spiritual life right with God through the forgiveness of your sins, he came to open the eyes that were blind, to bring physical healing to everyone who was sick, to set everything that's wrong in the world right again. Jesus came for all of that. On this Christmas Eve, if you're longing for justice in the world, if you long for a better world where what is wrong is set right and where what's wrong in your own heart is made right, can I tell you that that longing is really for Jesus? How did he serve? How did he serve? The text shows us that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it hurt in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is really what sets Jesus apart from men like Cyrus, the potentates, the despots of old who would thunder into nations and cities and set up siege works and bring their armies to bear. Jesus didn't come that way at all. He didn't barge into anyone's life with bravado. There was no domineering hype or manipulation of power. In fact, the only people that Jesus ever really played hardball with were the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. Jesus came into a world full of bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. And he knew just how to bring healing and justice. Jesus came to give suffering and sinful people their lives back. That's why he came. You know, we, we tend to say things like this, especially if you're, if you're like me, if you're a father of boys, you say things like, it's just a bruise. You know, if there's no blood, no foul, that kind of thing. We say that kind of stuff as dads. Maybe some of you ladies say it to your daughters, I don't know, but we say that kind of stuff to our guys. And, and we tend to say it's just a bruise, but you know, the Hebrew word there really describes an injury that may not be so evident on the outside, but on the inside, internal organs could be not just bruised, but damaged. In other words, it's the kind of bruise that can be a death blow. And while it may not show up on the surface, you may be dying on the inside. That bruised stalk of grain is so damaged it'll never produce fruit again. But Jesus can heal it so that it can be fruitful again. He can heal your life and your heart so that you can be fruitful again. You can live the life God designed for you to live from the very beginning. That smoldering wick, he knows how to breathe life into that ember, into your life. Richard Sibbs, a, a Puritan pastor, so it's been a long time ago, wrote a, wrote a treatise on the bruised reed and he said these words, I love them. Are you bruised? Be of good comfort. He calls you. Conceal not your wounds, open all to him. Go to Christ. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. I love that. Are you bruised? Certainly we are all bruised by our own sinfulness and by the sins that we've committed against others, against God. Are you bruised tonight because of disappointments or fear or failure? Perhaps you're dis bruised because of relational conflict in your life or even in your family and you come into Christmas hopeful but 
a little fearful of what may take place over the next few days. There's relational conflict. Are you bruised because of these things? Perhaps you're bruised because of physical weakness. And when you look back on last Christmas, you think, I'm not the person that I was then. Things are weaker. Sibs also wrote that the servant has come into the world to kiss your wounds. Jesus served. He served carefully, gently, graciously, attentively, with the wisdom and skill that only a great physician can apply. I love that in verse four, it says he will not faint or be discouraged until he has established justice. The implication is that this work of establishing justice, even out to the coastlands, is not going to be easy. But he will finish it. And we believe that he did. And I want you to notice that in verse three of this text, the word for bruised, when it describes bruised reeds, that's all of us, that same word is used in verse four describing the servant, that he won't be discouraged. And in verse three, that word for faintly burning wicks is the same word used in verse four to describe the servant who will not faint. And, And here's the play on the words, right? Jesus has served us by suffering for us, by suffering like us. He pays the price for justice. He earns the freedom for the captives by laying down his life in our place for our sins. You know, that word bruised once again goes all the way back to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis 3 where everything fell apart because of sin. In the midst of all of that, God preached the first gospel He spoke not to Adam and Eve, though. He spoke to the serpent, to the tempter. And when he looked at him, he he told Satan, I'm going to give Eve a descendant, an offspring, and he is going to crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. I want you to just imagine, it won't be hard for a moment, that you might be standing with family and friends, and a venomous snake slithers up, and, and you know that the only way to save them is to step on the snake. And you know that even if you crush his head, he might bite your heel and envenomate you, but you do it anyway. And in the act of saving their lives, you give your own. I want you to see Jesus, the descendant of Eve, the child of Mary, the very servant of God, bruised for us. Are you a bruised reed? I would call you and challenge you tonight to put away your sin, idolatry, to have anyone or anything at the center of your heart than Jesus. He is Lord, the baby born in a manger. He deserves that rightful place of worship. Put away your sin and put yourself in the care of God's servant, Jesus. His grace is sufficient to forgive you, to give you a new heart, to give you a new life, to open your eyes so that you can see life as it's meant to be seen and live it as it was meant to be lived. If you're a Christian this evening, and certainly as a church family, I want to speak to us that we ought to care for the bruised people in the world. And Christmas is a giving time. And, and which of us haven't put money in one of those red kettles or written a check to some deserving charity? Those are good things, and we ought to do that. We ought to do justice. Of course, social justice is like water through your hands. It's, it's difficult. It's not going to happen just because we make efforts. But we ought to make efforts. 
We ought to be on mission, on the mission of the servant who came and who's made us his people. And so we ought to be tender and gracious and forgiving and care for the hurting and the poor and the prisoner and the orphans and the widows. We ought to do things as a church like build a home in Mexico or go to the ends of the earth or for medical purposes, whatever those things are, we ought to do those things. We ought to love people the way Christ has loved us, not just in word, but also in deed. And we ought to share the liberating message of the gospel. This news is the only remedy for bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. It's the only remedy to heal hearts. You know, no matter how warm and fuzzy we make Christmas, the baby born in a manger was a man who died on the cross. The man, the baby who cried in that manger is the man who cried, it is finished from the cross. And the baby who is sleeping is the man who rose from the dead. Merry Christmas. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have sent this sign, child, a son, a king, and a servant. Christmas is so unique and so strange and different that you, the God of the universe, would choose to establish justice in the world by sending one who would serve. And we are grateful that he has served us so well and so completely. Father, we thank you tonight for the gift of Jesus for the gift of life in him, for the commission that we have as your people to extend justice, to extend forgiveness, to extend care and healing to so many who are hurting in our community and to the world. May we be your people and may we shine that light as we go this evening. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.